With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and today... Boy, we got a great show for you. I know the fantasy draft season is here. A lot of you are doing your drafts on weekends. On this weekend, I have a draft in Nashville this weekend myself. So let's get prepared. Let's focus on the most important thing, and that is making sure you have your entire fantasy football draft strategy wrapped up. I am joined by just the man to help us accomplish that task. You'll again be hearing a lot of him on the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast moving forward. Had a great show with my friend on Wednesday. If you missed some of the preseason takeaways, be sure you check that out. None of other than PFF's own Dwayne McFarland, who you probably know better on Twitter as Context Matters, which it does. Dwayne, happy draft season. We made it, man. We're here. Yeah, dude. It's time. Uh, I mean, well, for us, like we've probably been drafting for like three months. But <laughs> yeah, I had a home draft last weekend. And when you start having the home drafts, man, with all your buddies, that's when you know like the, the, the real season is here. Absolutely. We've had the underdogs flying all year, but when you get that home draft, now it's really time to get things going. So basically people are, uh, you know, just goals for today. We're going quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end. Dwayne and I are each going to talk about our general strategy, give someone that we're trying to leave every single draft with, give a fade, also give a sleeper, then we'll move on to the next position. So Dwayne, I know you've had a lot of great content on this over at pff.com. Let's kick things off at quarterback. What is your general strategy at this position this year? Yeah, I mean, overall at quarterback, I'm I'm waiting, but I am trying to be opportunistic. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna own Mahomes very often just because he's going 15 to 20 picks ahead of guys that I have in the same tier. And remember, this is an ADP conversation, guys, not a talent. We all probably would agree with with many people that are screaming in that Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Yes. So no no disagreement there. But when we talk about fantasy points. Uh, I've got Kyler Murray right there. I've got Josh Allen right there. I've got Lamar Jackson within peaking distance, you know, of, of Mahomes. I've got Dak Prescott slightly behind him. And so anytime those guys slide past ADP into like say the sixth round in a 12 team draft, I'm looking to, to, to scoop them up, but I'm also not feeling I have to get one of those. Um, the targets that I'm hitting on all the time Ian, are Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, you know, they're going in rounds between these rounds rounds eight and 10 and most typical home drafts right now, sometimes around 11. Um, when I look at Brady, I look what he did down the stretch last year. Um, the first eight games, he was still learning the offense. He didn't have Mike. Uh, Mike Evans was doubtful and questionable with knee and, uh, you know, hamstring is, um, injuries early in the season. Godwin missed four games. He didn't have Antonio Brown for the first eight games. And then when they all got healthy, obviously the rest of history gone to the Super Bowl. But I mean, this is a year where Brady could easily throw for over 5,000 yards, throw for over 40 touchdowns, and you're getting him, you know, in the 10th round, right, of, of drafts. Um, Wilson, I'm actually really excited about what Shane Waldron's going to bring to the table with the offense, going to keep things moving, going to have more speed. I think it's also going to keep Pete Carroll happy because there will be plenty of rushing. But the increase in the, the volume of plays overall will mean that even though rushing and First passing splits may go down a little bit. I think it's going to be good for Russell Wilson. I think we'll also figure out how to attack those two high looks. And so I'm just excited, man. When, when was the last time we've seen Russ 
you know, with, you know, three really what could be strong options. They added, you know, Dwayne Eskridge in the draft, but then they also brought over Gerald Everett in the um, offseason who came over with Waldron. So I'm just excited about Wilson. I feel like he's discounted. He gives you a nice rushing floor and he could be in the top five. He could be in the top four. I mean, we're talking about a quarterback that routinely finishes in the top three to five of fantasy uh, football every single year and you're getting a discount on him. Yeah, I mean, when we saw Russ look awful mortal in the second half of the season, a lot of that was due to playing the best defense in the league, the Los Angeles Rams, three separate times. I would think bringing the passing game coordinator from that very team, putting him in as your OC, might just help solve the problems that they brought to the table. Love that. And yeah, I think where Russ is going, it's awfully affordable if you don't find yourself coming away with one of the consensus big five. I'm with you. I'm going late round QB this year. Again, every draft's different. So we're going to be saying like a lot of depends uh, during this podcast. We're trying to give you general goals. And I would just say if you want to buy the hoopla on Trey Lance or Justin Fields, and for good reason, we have dual threat quarterbacks that seemingly will be in the top 10, top 12 as soon as they get that job. If you're worried about when they're going to get that job, draft Kirk Cousins, people. He might not be vaxxed, but he is a fantastic fantasy football quarterback and much better in real life than I think a lot of people are giving him credit for. And if you just look again at these first seven games he has, I think it's going to carry over just fine until Lance and or Fields can get the job. Personally, I have Lance just ahead of Fields. One spot, I just think if you look at Shanahan versus Nagy, the 49ers offensive line versus the Bears offensive line, the weapons involved, and just Lance probably, I think, being the better candidate to have more total rush attempts during his time under center he gets the draw for me but Dwayne I was putting this together like the mix of the Vikings early season schedule and the 49ers late one man I I love using the adjective borderline erotic throw the borderline out man this is straight up erotic here so if you can get Kirk and Lance here are the teams you're gonna be facing at quarterback through the entire season Bengals Cardinals Seahawks Browns Lions Panthers Colts, Cowboys, Cardinals, Rams, Jaguars, Vikings, Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, Titans, Texans. The Colts and the Rams are the only two weeks where you're not feeling fantastic about who your quarterback is going up against. And again, you can get these two guys in most of your home leagues, not underdog best ball, but most of your home leagues, you know, 11th, 12th, even later than that, particularly Cousins. So I agree. You know, I talked to Rich Rebar on the pod about a lot of quarterbacks a couple of weeks ago, and he brought up the point where, you know, he's just trying to leave with only one quarterback. He doesn't want to devote the two roster spots. And yeah, if you get Russell Wilson or one of these top guys, that's fine. Just realize I'm more willing to devote that extra roster spot, you know, to quote unquote handcuff the guy when we're using late round picks to do so. So no, please don't reach on Trey Lance in round seven and then get Kirk in round eight just to do that. The whole thesis of the strategy is to use only late round picks to sure up your QB one spot. And again, that schedule, if you can manage to do so, looks absolutely great. Drain, we were talking main strategy. I know you like Russ, but is there like a best value, a primary target that you're trying to come away other than Russ, or is it just Russell Wilson himself? Yeah. So, and if folks want to read, they can go check it out. Um, but I'm I'm doing a strategy article every day this week. So quarterback dropped on Tuesday, running back dropped uh, today, or sorry, quarterback. What what is today, Ian? Thursday. I, r- <laughs> yeah. Rumor has it so, Thursday, but so re- <laughs> receiver will drop tomorrow. Um, but um, yesterday was running back, or sorry, today was running back, yesterday was quarterback. And so, I'm, and then I'll put out tight end as well. But I talk about this, and I actually talk about what Rich was talking about. If I get one of those two I named, I'm not drafting a second um, quarterback. Yeah. 
Um, but my backup plan, if Russ is gone, if Tom Brady is gone, then I'm going with Jalen Hurts. And I know folks are worried about Hurts, you know, in his passing. But, I mean, I just added up what I have him projected for rushing. I mean, he's going to score 110 fantasy points before he ever throws a pass. So even <laughs> if he doesn't improve as a passer, it's already such a high floor. Like, he could be terrible as a passer. I don't think he gets benched if he's terrible because the Eagles will be fine with losing and they'll take a high draft pick. Um, what does Joe Flacco really serve a purpose of? And so I think Hertz is going to have the season as long as there's not a trade for somebody like Deshaun Watson, which that's a complete unknown right now. There's so many unknowns around what's going to happen with Watson. So Hertz is a guy that you can get in round 11 or 12. So when I miss on Wilson and Brady and I don't reach for them, it's again, to your point, it's, it's, this is all about scooping up the value at the right time. What, what, what makes Wilson and Brady worth it is because they go later, but I still don't want to reach on them, right? I don't want to be like, oh, backwind. So I've just got to take Russell Wilson right here. That's not what we're saying. Um, so it's all about really utilizing the ADP to find the sweet spots in your draft so you can know I'm basically going to get my quarterbacks in these range and I need to be in these ranges and I need to be thinking about that. And then that frees you up to approach the rest of your draft differently. And you're planning multiple hit, you know, steps ahead. I always say, you know, you're playing chess, not checkers. You're thinking three and four rounds ahead while your opponent's just thinking round around and that gives you an advantage. And so thinking about these types of things definitely helps. Um, then my last ditch is if you miss, like say you miss on Hertz, then I'm taking the strategy you just said. And I actually quoted you uh, in my quarterback article. And I, I love the idea of pairing cousins along with, you know, Lance or even a, a, a fields, but I know specifically you picked out Lance. I think that's a good strategy. Um, and I'm not reaching for guys like Baker cousins again is great because he falls. Baker goes like 20 picks ahead of him and they're in the same kind of offense. And so I think it makes a really good sense. You know, what you've laid out there, the other, one player I'll mention here, um, you know, Ian, is if you don't get um, Hurts, you don't get Brady, you don't get Wilson, hopefully you get one of those. But if you don't, and then you miss out on Lance and Fields, maybe there's other value just falling to you, you can't pass. Like, my backup plan for upside is Tua. Okay. So Tua, with his weapons, I do believe there is a path to him pushing into the top 12 fantasy quarterbacks. I mean, he's pushing the ball down the field. Everything we've heard in the offense, Offseason, you know, the drum, the, the drum beat just continues to get more consistent. That's going to be a more vertical offense. They had Will Fuller, they had Jalen Waddle in the draft. You got Mike Jasicki rotating on and off the field. You've got Devontae Parker as your, you know, second or third or whatever he ends up being. The bottom line is they have plenty of weapons. They have offensive line problems, but we know quarterbacks can also own part of their pressure rate. So I'm big on Tua. If I miss out on Lance and I miss out on Fields, I, I like to try to grab Tua and then I'll pair him and do something similar to what you said with a guy like Cousins. I think the Jalen Hurts uh, call was a very good point. Earlier in the offseason, he was going almost like where Russ was, and I was not down on that. And it was funny because people, you know, in March and April, only us are like, only the true DJs are having fantasy football conversations then. But it was funny when I would see, you know, like PFF say, oh, like, who's your favorite late round fantasy option this year? And just more casual people would respond to that with like Jalen Hurts. And I laughed about it because he wasn't really a late round option at that point. He was already a top eight quarterback. The way Hey, he's sliding, Dwayne. I've been getting more and more hurts. And when you compare him with, and when you compare him up with Devontae Smith and Jalen Rager at more than affordable cost, man, I think that's a great call to get him right below that rush range. Now, 
the the Tua, that's not not a bad call at all. I was looking at him as my sleeper. I will say, though, just in terms of total ADP change, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going a little bit under the radar. And I'm looking at your ranks right now, and I think you're in agreement with me. You have him as the QB 15. I have him right around that same tier as well. And Fitz has always struck out to me as the, stuck out to me, excuse me, as the guy where you might rank him. A lot of people have him ranked, you know, mid, late 20s. But once week one comes along, and he's the starter, as we all expect, you're going to make your week week one ranks and notice that Ryan Fitzpatrick is flying up that board because he's been nothing other than a great fantasy football quarterback in each of the past three years. In 2018, Jameis suspended the first three weeks. Fitzpatrick works as a fantasy QB one. 2019, they finally decide, hey, Josh Rosen, you know, we figured out who you are. You're not the guy. We're going to just let Fitzpatrick be the guy. QB2 in weeks 7 through 17, only behind Lamar Jackson. And in 2020, before quote-unquote losing his job to Tua, even though we all know Fitz was the better option if they were just trying to win games, QB8 in weeks 1 through 6. So for Fitz to now be in a better offense, McLaurin, Samuel, Logan Thomas, Diami Brown, Gibson, McKissick, weapons all over the place, finally doesn't have, you know, this top 10 first-round quarterback behind him on the depth chart. With all due respect to Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen, and these guys, Fitz is the the late, late-round quarterback that I think you can look at if all goes south. Now, Dwayne, I mean, I think we could literally go through all 25 quarterbacks, talk about why they could work out, why if it could, you know, theoretically everything goes right for them, they could be a great quarterback. I think in, uh, I looked this up today, in 2010, there were like six quarterbacks that averaged at least 17 fantasy points per game. Last year, there were 19. So a lot more points being scored to position these days. With that said, is there a fade, someone that you're just, even when he's there, you know, past his ADP that you're just like, no, can't do it? Well, typically, I don't have anyone that if they fall far enough past ADP because I draft a lot. Um, so I try to be open, you know, to that. But two players that I'm not getting at ADP right now are Aaron Rodgers and Justin Herbert. Um, Aaron Rodgers is awesome, but he also had one of the most efficient seasons of his career. He was throwing a touchdown on 9% of his passes last year. That's going to come down. He plays in an offense that is willing to run the ball as well. Um, lots of play action. So there's good efficiency things going on for Aaron Rodgers, but I wouldn't be surprised to see his touchdown numbers come down. If you go to the, if you, if you have access to pro football focus, one of the tools that we have is fantasy points over expected. And if you go look at Aaron Rodgers, his touchdown, ex, his expected touchdowns, I want to say, I don't have it right in front of me right now, Ian, but we're like 12 over Sheesh. like what, <laughs> you know, he would have, he would have normally what a quarterback would have thrown in those same exact situations. So it's basically what it's doing is it normalizing for the, the game flow, all these different things that is taking um, in and factoring field position, all those sorts of things. And it's saying this would be the expected number of touchdowns. Now, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you would expect, you know, to be consistently above that. But, you know, being as far above it as he was last year, um, he was an outlier. And so for me, Rodgers is a guy that I really like, but he's pushed up pretty far on boards this year. And he still has issues with weapons. You know, if Devontae Adams doesn't play, like it's problematic. Can, can Robert Tanyan really score, you know, 12, 13, 14 passing touchdowns? Um, he's also, you know, due, he's probably due for regression as well. So I worry that he's he's kind of unstable if you lose Adams. I know they they drafted Amari Rodgers. They brought Randall Cobb over. But to me, this is not an offense when I look at it and I think, wow, look at all the passing options. I think it's going to be based on efficiency. Um, and the Packers will be a really good team. 
but I just, I worry about Rogers at his current ADP. I think he better fits, you know, going around where Ryan Tannehill and Matthew Stafford are going, even though he's the better quarterback. Um, and then Justin Herbert, I'm just worried. I, I'm not worried per se, but I've got him at 600 passes on the year. He threw 595 last year in 15 games. So my projection for 17 games is only five more than what he had last year. Um, this is going to be an offense that's going to run the ball more when they can. Um, so you've got a former defensive coordinator as your head coach. You've got um, offensive coordinator or assistants coming over from the 49ers. And then, you know, as far as the coordinator goes, you've got Lombardi who comes over from the Saints who've shown a very, you know, they've shown a willingness to really be a run balance type team. And so I think you're going to see this offense try to be more efficient. I just don't see Herbert getting the amount of plays a, you know, the chargers were top of the league last year, one of the top teams in pace. I think that's going to come down some, I think it'll still be good. Um, but I think it's going to come down some. And then two, I just think they're going to be a little bit more balanced. Yeah. With Rodgers uh, in particular, like this guy was the QB4 last year after having one of the best seasons that we've seen. Now, that's one of the differences in fantasy and real life. When you don't run like Rodgers at this stage in his career, just doesn't really run anymore. Those are the problems you run into. So, yeah, as you know, and hey, to your point, no, we shouldn't just be fading anyone just to fade them. Everyone can become a value at ADP. If your entire league hates Rodgers and you can get them as the QB 12 instead of the QB 7, that's fine. But where they're going, I think those are two good picks. Matt Ryan is someone that even as he slides down the board, though, I have a hard time getting him until he's you know really starting to flirt with that QB 20 range. I did an article earlier this offseason on quarterbacks without their wide receiver one. I wanted just to disprove the idea that the Browns are better off without Baker without uh, Odo Beckham, and I believe I did that. My big takeaway was that while Baker averages 0.6 yards per attempt, more without OBJ on the field, Patrick Mahomes has that same increase without Tyreek Hill. Now, nobody in their right mind would try to say the Chiefs are better without Tyreek Hill, just like you shouldn't with the Browns and OBJ. The one quarterback, though, and they were all small samples except for one quarterback, and that was Matt Ryan with and without Julio Jones. And Dwayne, man, we got a 25-game sample of Matt without Julio, and it's been awful. PFF passing grade, 94.5 with Julio, 74.6 without. 7.8 yards per attempt with Julio, 7 yards per attempt without. Big time throw rate, 4.8% with, 3.3% without. Ridley, you know, he's going to be fine with volume. Kyle Pitts, I think, will even be fine with volume. I'm just not so sure that we should be going back to the well by any stretch with a fourth, you know, Matt Ryan going to his 14th year. He's still a statue. And yeah, maybe Arthur Smith helps him with some play action, Ryan Tannehill. Also, maybe learning a new offense in your 14th year as a starter isn't going to bring out the best in the guys. So with Matt Ryan, maybe, you know, he overcomes the quote-unquote odds against him. But I just think the ceiling for him is more as a borderline QB1. I'd rather take my chance with someone else that we've seen more recent top 10 value from. Now, Dwayne, is there a sleeper, someone that you think could actually have that top 10 value that others might not be thinking so highly of? Yeah, I guess I'm sorry. I messed it up and went too soon because it would be Tua. Okay. <laughs> that's the sleeper uh, that's going the latest, you know, of all the guys that I'm, that I'm targeting quite often um, that I don't see everybody else is excited about. Fair enough. And I almost had Tua written down as my sleeper as well. I just love how you compare him with Waddle and Fuller so easily. I will say, though, people, and I, I did a draft on fan tracks last night with a bunch of our other PFF uh, peeps, and they did not force us to draft a defense or a kicker at all. So in the last two spots, I was able to grab some other running backs, wide receivers. I had Lamar Jackson on this team, so I felt no need to even mess around with what I'm about to say. But if you can draft Taysom Hill with the very last pick in your draft, just to 
see if he wins the quarterback competition. I think there could be a lot of value in that because if he doesn't, great. We're, we need to cut two guys anyway. Cut them. Go get a defense. If he does, just like Ryan Fitzpatrick, we're looking at someone who is going to just shoot up the rankings ahead of week one because, as you know, nauseating as watching Taysom Hill play quarterback last year might have been at times, it worked in fantasy because the guy runs the ball. QB3, QB11, QB7, QB9 fantasy performances overall. I mean, look, who loves Taysom Hill more than anyone? Sean Payton. Who's deciding the Saints quarterback battle? Sean Payton. I'm just saying, people, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Taysom wins this job. And with Jameis, like, if he wins the job, I think we're suddenly looking at a two QB system and an offense that he's not going to be kind of given the same sort of leash that we saw in that, you know, great fantasy year of 2019. So for me, you know, the answer to Jameis versus Taysom and fantasy should be Taysom because at least if he wins that job, we have a usable fantasy quarterback right away. So again, people do not draft a kicker in defense. If you don't have to, we're still weeks away from this starting. I mean, what, what was that? Uh, four years ago or something like Spencer Ware and Julian Edelman, like each tour ACLs, like in the same, like within an hour of each other in the same preseason week, we never want guys to get hurt. It's also a reality. So try to set yourself up in these final picks in case things go haywire. Dwayne, great stuff on quarterbacks. We're moving right along to the running back position. What is your general strategy here approaching RBs? Yeah, I want one back in the first two rounds. I think there are a couple of ways that you could go and not take a back if you really want to, if you're wanting to go zero RB. I think this is the year, though, for me, where the talent is deep, you know, in the first two rounds, and I want one of the backs. And so typically what I'm doing, um, depending on where I'm drafting, if I have an early draft slot in a 12-team league, so if I'm picking one through four, I'm just taking one of the top four backs, right? McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, all the way in the first three picks. Once I get to four, though, I am willing to pivot, um, you know, to a receiver, to Kelsey, um, depending on your scoring format. This is like PPR. So um, once I get to the middle part, you know, of my draft, though, I am aiming more for the receivers and the tight ends. So the middle part being picks five, six, seven, eight, nine, and then, uh, sorry, eight. And then you've got 10, 11 or nine, 10, 11, 12, right. Is the, the end of the draft. So when you hear me say early position, mid position, late position, that's what I'm talking about. Um, but in the late, you know, when I get to the late part of the first round, I mean, Again, like if Diggs is there, I'm willing to go with him. I know we're talking running backs right now, but just to kind of give folks like the zoom out, mm -hmm. but I love a lot of the backs in the second round. And in fact, like Joe Mixon is probably going to be one of my most owned players this year, Ian. Like he's finally going to have the full down role. The offense should be improving. The offensive line should be improving. Preach. Um, it, it's, it's just an offense that, you know, it may struggle a little bit out of the gate. I know we've got to worry about Burrow's uh, knee, but I'm just pretty much all in on Joe Mixon this year. Um, so if I can get, say, Travis Kelsey in the middle of the first, then I can come back with Burrow. Like, I love that start. Yeah. I mean, Burrow with Mixon, <laughs> I love that start. If I can start with, you know, Aaron Jones in the first round and I come back and I want to double tap and I go Mixon, I feel good about that. So my biggest thing, you know, at running back is I want at least one, but I am willing to go two when Mixon slides too far in the second round. Najee Harris, you know, I would put in there too in a full in a full point PPR. He's sliding too far quite often, slides back to the end of the second round. So I'm willing to pair him with another first round running back as well. Um, but that that's my basic strategy. If I don't get, um, you know, two running backs in the first two rounds, which quite often I don't because I really like tight ends in those two rounds as well. 
Um, I'm usually waiting after that, Ian. Um, there are a couple targets we can talk about in a minute that go in the mid-rounds that I think are worth looking at, but there's also a lot that I'm pretty leery of, and I think there's plenty of receive there's plenty of receivers that I really want to target. So if I if I go with one and then I come back receiver, I'm still probably waiting um, until like round six or seven before I pull the trigger again on running back. There's a back we can talk about in the fourth round that I do that I do like, but overall I'm waiting. Now, if I can get two, I feel even better because then I can really just wait and say, hey, if value happens to fall to me at running back after this, I feel really, you know, I feel, I'll feel good about, you know, not having to force anything, just let the value fall to me. Um, so that, that's pretty much my strategy. I want to get one. I'll sometimes take two, but after that, most often I'm waiting um, just because of the way the value falls this season. I'm with you. Every draft falls differently depending on your slot. We all get that. With that said, I've been most kind of pleased at how my quote-unquote anchor RB styles have been going. Get that stud early round one, and then we'll get receivers and tight ends. I am with you, though, particularly with where you kind of have your cutoffs. You know, we're a little bit different in terms of where guys specifically are, but we each have the same kind of 14 guys, you know, before we draw a line. And that's your, you know, 1A, 1B, and 2A tiers. I just straight up have, you know, in my 10 tips for your fantasy drafts, get at least one of these top 14 backs in the top three rounds and then wait. So for me, yeah, I'm not even, I've had some drafts where I go three running backs, and that's like if the tight ends are gobbled up and all that in the first three rounds but i'm only doing that if my guys are there i'm not taking you know swift carson henderson some of these other guys who are fine i'm sure one of them is going to work out and you know the dr hindsight's out there are going to look and say oh how could we not have seen this but it's those 14 backs it's mccaffrey cook kamara jones henry zeke barkley eckler mixon Taylor, Najee, Chubb, Claude Ebersolaire, Antonio Gibson. Those are our 14 backs that we feel good enough about to put above the rest. So, yes, I'm trying to get at least one of those. Two is fine. Usually round three is where I'm trying to scoop up Waller. Please still be there, you know, Kittle type of situation. But, hey, if not, and we still have Clyde there, and the wide receivers have, you know, in this scenario been going faster, I'm fine even going three to start. So I would just, you know, really draw that line after those top 14 backs, and that's where I think you might be reaching if you're going a bit early. Now, Dwayne, with all this in mind, which one of these running backs do you just kind of circle before your draft and say, man, I'm not going to reach too far, but if I can get this guy in my squad, I'm just going to feel amazing about it. Yeah, I mean, we, we already talked about Mixon, but if we're talking about, you know, a little bit later in the draft, um, and again, just like you said, I don't want to reach for these for these players, but when they're there and they make sense, you know, based on my roster construction, I really like them. Um, and two of them are from the same team, and we've talked about them before, but it's Trey Sermon or Raheem Mostert. Yeah. I just love the scheme they're in. I think both of them have a lot of upside. I think there's a way that they can both provide value. Um, if I've gone zero uh, running back or if I've just gone one anchor and I'm sitting in rounds like eight, nine, and ten, and I still don't have my second back, then I think you kind of reach that point where you've got to be looking at like Damian Harris. You've got to start looking at Zach Moss. You've got to start thinking about guys like James Conner. Um, you know, I think those are all in play, but if I was just to say, there's one that I'm trying to get, and what's funny is I haven't got him that much really, Ian. Um, but Trey Sermon is a guy that I really thought I would own a lot more of when the season started, but the way drafts have gone, it's, I feel like every time I'm in a draft, there's like this 80% chance there's a Trey Sermon, like absolute truther, and they're going to reach <laughs> like two rounds to get him. So it's just, it's been a little tricky, but I was looking what, uh, at home draft data. So say looking at ESPN, uh, my fantasy league and fan tracks. It's a lot more realistic. Sermon's going pick 101 
in those leagues. Whereas the leagues we've been drafting in a lot, like underdog, you you've seen it. Like he'll go in the sixth and seventh round, um, and people are very aggressive with him. So I like his ADP over in more of the home the home draft style format, um, where I can get him at the kind of value that I want. Um, because we do know that Mostert struggled with injuries in the past. I'm not saying he's in, you know that he's going to be hurt. We all know, like, look, people are hurt until they're not. Yeah. You know, so I do like both of these players. The sermon is a guy that I really love, especially if I can get him in that 100. It doesn't necessarily have to be sermon versus Moster too. Yeah. Like it could be one of these few fairly rare two back committees where both guys are good enough and fed the ball enough to actually make it work more weeks than not together. So yeah, I'm with you. Like it was looking more at the home ADPs made me come around a little bit more on sermon. Cause for months I've been trying to figure out like why is sermon going all these spots ahead of Mostert and best ball land. It's good to see that's not been the case so much in home leagues. So yeah, you know, we've talked about some of these backfields like the Jaguars, the Texans is the answer. Just no, I think the answer to Mostert versus sermon is just, yes, like get either of these guys when they're falling where they are the epitome of backs that are just being drafted closer to their floor than their ceilings. Like we have past evidence of Shanahan leaning on one back the Devontae Freeman years, Carlos Hyde in 2017, Alfred Morris in Washington. All these guys were fantasy football stars and we haven't gotten that recently. Unfortunately, people were kind of late to this show. I think we had guys like Matt Breida going into RB2 territory. People have wised up. And because of that, now Mostert and Sermon are available in the mid RB3 range. So you're drafting these guys where we've seen Jeff Wilson, Mostert himself, Matt Breida finish over the past three years. So even if we get the annoying 49ers committee again, I think these guys are going to be able to meet value with where they're going. And I would also add with Sermon. If you're in a keeper, and I, I've been, you know, had a lot of, not arguments on here, but debates about Mostert versus Sermon, I am team Mostert. If you're in a keeper league and both these guys are available, draft Trey Sermon every single time, people. You know, everything that I've been looking at in the last few days, these rookie running backs, particularly ones with uh, some level of draft capital, which Sermon has, by year two, man, we see their ADPs on average go up nine spots just in the positional rankings, not even overall. And if, you know, Mostert, Gallman, Jeff Wilson, all these, even Michael Hasty, all these guys are unrestricted free agents next year. If we really get definitive, Trey Sermon is our guy backing in 2022, this guy could be a top 12 pick by the time that comes along. So just keep that in mind in terms of keeper land. I think Sermon and Javante, even if you know you might have them a spot or two behind some of these other guys, again, if you can get that one keeper, really prioritize these rookie running backs. I have most of it for this one, Dwayne. So we're just on the same page. Love to see it. Uh, great day to be great. Well, with that said, which player are you fading just in terms of, you know, public has them going at spot X, you have them going 20 spots later, and you're never touching them accordingly? Yeah, this one pains me, but it's J.K. Dobbins um, because he goes in the third round, and I, I love the player, um, but it's just uh, you've got Gus Edwards re-signed for $10 million. You've got Lamar Jackson, you know, taking carries as well. You've got um, Justice Hill rotating in on long down distance. It's just, you know, it's not real – conducive um you know to to a third round pick like Dobbins grades out for me more as like a late fourth early fifth round pick where you could bet on talent and then if a door opens you know if Gus Edwards you know where to go down or if the offense you know has changed in some way or they just all of a sudden decide to go with Dobbins then you're you know you're in great shape because you're just betting on talent but when you have to do that you know in the mid to late third round in a 12 team draft 
um, especially in a PPR format, I would move him up in standard. Standard, I would have less problem taking that kind of stance with Dobbins. But in a PPR and even in a half PPR, for me, Ian, it's just too expensive. Yeah. It's a fair point. I feel the same way pretty much about James Robinson. I see the path to success, but this is like the opposite of what we were just talking about with the 49ers backs. Like with James Robinson on best ball, it's like, okay, he's kind of going in the RB 30, even 40 range. Like I'm not against scooping him up in that spot. But when I see this dude still being treated like a borderline RB2, People, the reason why James Robinson was so great last year was because before he got hurt, only Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry had more touches. Like all the arguments that you people want to hold against Joe Mixon and these guys with the bad offensive lines and then, you know, Saquon Barkley's in an atrocious offense. Why would we want to touch him? Like James Robinson overcame all that last year because of volume. He's a perfectly fine running back, but I'm not going to come out and say like Robinson is this special top five talent at the position that the entire league missed on. Very good. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, though, if you listen to Dwayne and I talk about preseason, not only is ETN going to be involved with involved with the chance to take over sooner rather than later, Carlos Hyde figures to be a part of this committee. I'm not happy about it. N none of us are happy about this except for Carlos Hyde and unfortunately, maybe just Urban Meyer as well. So with James Robinson, it's again, it's a spot where he could be fine if he was being treated as like a flex with benefits, you know, in the Jamal Williams, Kenyon Drake, Latavius Murray range. That's where I have him ranked. I think he's fine right there. It's when you're taking him ahead of like legit or if you want to put him in the RB dead zone, I'm going to treat him as being dead basically. So for me, James Robinson, it sucks it had to happen. Maybe we get the Robinson ETN lightning thunder scenario. I just don't exactly see that happen. And I'm not spending a top 25, top 26 running back pick to find out. So for me, James Robinson might just be RB3 son by the time this year is over. Dwayne, is there a sleeper you find yourself in the later rounds just saying, gimme, gimme, gimme? Yeah, there's a few guys that I really don't want to leave without. So, I mean, you know, a lot of players are on A.J. Dillon. Um, they're taking him in like the ninth round. A lot of players are on Tony Pollard going in the 10th round. And I love both of those players. But I think there's a group, there's a trio of backs that go later than that. And I know what a lot of folks are thinking. Well, they're going to have a role anyway. Maybe they give me flex value, which is true. They're going to score more fantasy points. They're going to be a bigger part of their offense than the three players I'm about to name. Most likely, these guys could carve out a little bit more of a, a path as well. But I still don't think those players are going to provide you with much flux value like people think, right? Yeah. Um, so I really like waiting and taking the guys I'm about to name. And I leave every draft with at least two of them. But first is Alexander Madison. Last year, you know, he was going in the 10th and 11th rounds of drafts um, because people knew he plays in a great scheme. Um, they play wide zone. He's very explosive in that scheme on the limited touches that he's had. And Dalvin Cook, you know, I mean, we're one play away from Alexander Madison having a big role. The thing is, last year when that happened, Madison burned a lot of people in DFS. And it's because we had, um, you know, a situation where the game script kind of took things a little weird. And then, you know, there was some receiving work that uh, Mike Boone took away from him. And so I think people just like have that one thing stuck in their mind, but he's gone. The rookie they drafted is really more of a special teams guy out of the gate. Madison's the clear handcuff and he changes the, tra the uh, trajectory of your team. If all of a sudden he's playing in your flex spot or becomes your RB two, when you went with one anchor and say, you know, you didn't hit a real home run on your second running back. So Madison's huge, but then the two guys that go way after him in that you can in home leagues, you're going to be able to get basically with your last pick. Nobody's going to think about these guys. Um, and you can end up cutting them, but man, if something happens in camp to the starter in front of them, talk about players that will shoot up, like be at the top of your waiver wire. And then if you were drafting the next week would be going in the top 10 rounds, 
and that's Darrington Evans and Chuba Hubbard. Yeah. Those two guys, like I'm getting one of those every single draft, if not two. If I'm drafting in a 20, you know, round draft, man, I'm trying to walk away with Madison, Evans, and Chuba. All I want all of them because all of them play. So the key for you know uh, Darrington Evans is he plays behind a back that we know is approaching the 1500 touch mark, yeah. um, just like Tony Pollard is. And we also know that they want to get him some work in the passing in the passing game. And he looked really good in his first week of preseason. You know, um, Hubert, um, Hubbard had a nice run as well. Um, you know, he kind of ran into a wall. It was like that old Emmett Smith run a long time ago <laughs> against um, the Falcons where he ran into this pile and like nobody grabbed him. And then he just kind of ran out of it and took off down the field. Somehow beat so Deion like, Sanders to the pylon. Madness. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like, I love Chuba. Um, you know, if something happens to McCaffrey, we've already seen what happened last year with a guy like Mike Davis. You know, now you have young, fresher legs. They used him on every down. Now the starters didn't play, but they used him in long down and distance everything last week. And so I think that's a positive. All you can do is, um, you know, look at what they asked him to do, despite what the scenario was with starters not playing in the game. They still let him get out there and take snaps in those situations. So those are three guys that I'm trying to come away with two out of the three um, because I just think there's so much upside in. Great calls all around. Real quick on Madison. He he burned us people on the first one. I get it. They were down 20 nothing in the third. Week 17, when Dalvin wasn't playing, Madison rips off an RB4 overall finish. I understand most people probably didn't care about that game. Madison is going to be projected for 20 touches more weeks than not without Dalvin. He continues to deserve to be a top four, if not higher handcuff. Darrington Evans completely agree. Like He didn't bust last year because the team didn't like him. He just had the early hamstring injury and he couldn't really get going. I know he got a little banged up last week. Seems to be okay though. And yeah, if something happens to Henry, he's first man up. And yeah, with Chuba, my concern, I guess, was he didn't have a bunch of receiving ability at or just receiving production at Oklahoma State. But as you just brought up, the Panthers are using him in that role. So, okay, sign me up. Potential Mike Davis 2.0 just waiting. I have Zach Moss written down. And I'm almost happy that he had this minor. I'm never happy if someone's injured, but I think the scent could be a lot stronger on Moss if he had come out, worked with the starters in that first preseason game, and people were starting to get behind the idea that if anyone is going to take over this backfield, it is Zach Moss. And similar to the 49ers, like, it's not even that I love Moss, the player. It's I love Moss, the ADP spot where he happens to be going. Devin Singletary was being drafted inside the top 24 backs last year. And what happened? He really never took over. When it was those two together, Moss was working slightly ahead of Singletary. And when Moss got hurt, they brought in TJ Yeldon, who was inactive otherwise. So I think if Moss is hurt, they're just going to bring in Matt Breida and they're going to split things. So for me, Singletary doesn't do it because we've seen time and time again, if he's out there, the Bills are just going to throw the piss out of the ball, not even worry about it as much. So Moss to me is the one guy that if anyone's going to take over, it could be him. And you know, when he's going as the RB 36, yeah, I'll use a borderline RB three pick to find out if I can get the freaking Buffalo bills starting running back. So all the stuff about Josh Allen running and not checking down, that's already been baked in. And if anyone is going to get that converted goal line roll, now that the bills have 258 million reasons to maybe not feature Josh as much down there. I think it will be Zach. Moss. Dwayne, let's talk some wide receiver. What are you feeling about the strategy? I think we're kind of on the same page here where we've talked about, you know, wanting to get one or two of the running backs early and then, uh, you know, move on from there and start loading up at receiver. But if there's anything, you know, just special that you got to say about the strategy here, I and the listeners are all ears. No, I mean, you pretty, we've, we've pretty much hit it. Yeah. It's, it's once I get past the second round, I'm really focused on 
I just think that's that's the right strategy this year. Um, now, as they continue to get pushed higher and higher and some of the backs continue to get pushed down, um, and I don't think you'll see this as much in home leagues, but if you've been doing a lot of best ball, you've definitely seen this um, over the last three to four weeks that all the receivers have really jumped up the board. So if that's going on at some point, you know, you may pivot and, and take a, a back that's falling, you know, well past ADP. But overall, I want to be in position with either two backs or one back in the first two rounds to then just really hit these receivers. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of young guys, Ian, that are heading into their first and second years um, that provide us with, you know, a path to upside, but are also, they're, they're scheduled to be a significant part of their offense right out of the gate, you know, and, and if they hit the upside on top of what we think they can do um, just by a factor of playing in a decent offense, there's just a lot of upside and you just don't have to worry about injuries as much. You don't have to worry, you know, about committees as much when you get these types of guys that are pretty much on the field all the time. All good points. I would only thing I would add is like just don't get cute early. I've had situations where I've had Deontay Johnson, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle. I'm really far above consensus on this. And now you might have these players that you, you know, feel great about. And that's fine. Just don't, you know, when I see Deontay there in round four in my ADP chart, whatever the hell your league is using, if it tells you there's 10 wide receivers projected to go before Deontay, there's a pretty good chance he's going to be there in round five. So for me, you know, don't be like your own ranking slave. It's fine to go get your guys, but try to keep in mind where the ADP is going to fall. So like, yeah, I've had Deontay as my wide receiver 16, but if I can draft him as the wide receiver 24, obviously that's better. Even if I'm taking someone that I technically think might be scoring a little bit less this year. So same thing with uh, Devontae, same thing with Waddle. Don't get cute early. I'm much more willing to, you know, in round 11 or 12, like Brian Edwards isn't showing up, but I want him. Yeah, go get him at that point. Just don't be, you know, making these big leaps in your ranks versus ADP in the first four or five rounds if you can help it. Because again, just better chance of having your guy still there as opposed to later in the draft. Dwayne, you said it, man. After that second pick, we're looking at receivers. Which one of these receivers do you just really want to grab in each and every one of your drafts? Yeah, it's a it's a tough decision this year because there's they're very close. Like the tiers are really tight. Um, so, but but a guy that I've been grabbing, you know, a lot, you know, Ian, and this goes back to Russ Wilson, is getting Tyler Lockett, yeah. you know, in the fourth round. I just feel like when he falls to the middle of the fourth round, um, it's just hard for me to pass on him. I mean, we know he's not going to get 150 targets, but we know that the offense is going to have more volume. We do expect it to be more efficient. All those things that I already talked about, we discussed quarterbacks. And he's just a guy that lands in the top 24 receivers pretty much every season. I know he does have some spike weeks and he'll have down weeks, but I don't think you can just hold that you know, against him. It's not like that's the way it's been every single season of his career. And most receivers have that. You know, We just don't realize how much it happens. Um, so it's pretty rare to have the receivers that can every single week, right, be in the top 12, top 24. Um, there's only very few, and those are typically just huge target hogs. So once you get past those, you know, for me, I like grabbing Lockett. And the reason I do, Ian, is because after that, I really pound youth. And, and so I like to go ahead and have that guy that I really like has upside still in his offense because, like, if, C if the Seahawks catch fire, like Tyler Lockett – there's, there's a lot of scenarios where Tyler Lockett scores as many points as DK Metcalf, right? And you're getting in two rounds later. That's the way I look at it. And so I want to own Lockett. He's going to get the slot matchups. He gets matched up with linebackers and safeties more than anyone in the league. Like, that's just ridiculous. How does a guy like Tyler Lockett, and it's because zone coverage, but still he gets isolated against these linebackers and safeties. And Russ Wilson knows how to find him and knows how to drop the dime in, right? 
Um, so I'm all over Lockett in the fourth round. I, I own him quite a bit. Um, but if somebody wants to go with like Chris Godwin, or if you if you really like, you know, Amari Cooper sliding to you there, you know, he's been activated off off the pup. If you're a believer in Cooper Cup with Stafford, like I get all those things. I just feel like Lockett gives me more of the big play upside. And I think he's got slight upside this year in volume that we haven't seen before due to how many more plays I think they're going to run. But, but the reason I grabbed him real quick is because after that, man, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to grab Deontay Johnson, Brandon, Ayuk, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Chase Claypool, all these guys that have a little bit more iffiness to them just because they're younger. Um, and, and I'm with you. I love Deontay. I've got him at 20. So I'm only four spots behind you and you make me feel better about him each time, <laughs> you know, I listen to you talk. Um, but because of that youth, that's why I'm really on Lockett and I'm taking him a lot in the fourth round. I get it, people. He only had the three huge games last year. That doesn't mean that's just going to happen year after year. Listen to Dwayne talking about the tempo, the more intermediate routes. All those things are going to be more opportunities, and it sounds like maybe more consistent opportunities because when you're playing, you know, the way the Seahawks do, relying so much on deep balls and off-script goodness, yeah, that's not going to be quite as stable as an offense throwing the ball more often and maybe using all areas of the field. So, yeah, man, and... He's still only 28 years old. He just signed a four-year, $69 million extension. He's going nowhere. DK Metcalf, I believe, is the better wide receiver. That doesn't mean Tyler Lockett still isn't the top 20 fantasy wide receiver in his own right. I'm going to go with Tyler Boyd. I don't think, like, I should just have, like, a timer, like, in my house. Like, every time I just, like, you know, oh, I've now gone zero days again without uh, talking about Tyler Boyd because it's gotten to <laughs> that <laughs> it's gotten to that point, man. And, you know, I'm sure all you listeners out there have heard me plenty of times, so I'm not going to harp on it too much. I'll just say this. In 2018, Tyler Boyd was the overall PPR wide receiver 15, wide receiver 19 in PPR points per game. In 2019, wide receiver 17 overall, wide receiver 26 in PPR points per game. Last year before Joe Burrow got hurt, he was the wide receiver 11. What has changed about this offense? A.J. Green's corpse is gone. Upstart rookie Jamar Chase is in there. On the outside, nothing has changed for Tyler Boyd in the slot. Similar to Lockett, the Bengals have said, hey, we love you, Tyler Boyd. They gave him a four-year, $43 million contract extension that's through 2023. So for Boyd, like, to me, people are fading him because the offense looks better because we have Chase in there. Like, I just don't see any reason why we should expect Boyd to not have the volume when this offense ranks fifth overall in both available targets and air yards. Like, just the assumption that Chase is going to take away from Boyd. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not feeling it, Dwayne. And I'm not even saying Boyd should be the number one receiver in Cincy. I have Chase and Higgins ahead of him. But when Chase and Higgins are going in the early 20s and Boyd is maybe in your home leagues, lucky to even crack the top 36, top 40 at this point, there's not another receiver that I love to get more than Tyler Boyd right in those middle rounds. It's becoming harder and harder on best ball. Like the eighth or ninth round pick I was getting him as before is now the fifth or sixth. But I'm hoping that in your home leagues, people, you can still get Boyd as this 110, 120 target PPR monster that a lot of people are just writing off for no good reason. He's going pick 85 right now in ESPN, my fantasy league fan track. So a reason it's a reasonable price. And just one real quick thing while you're on that. Yeah. Team, I think you're hitting an important point, like just a broader strategy topic when you're thinking about your draft. Um, there's several players like this. There's Tyler Boyd, there's Juju Smith-Schuster, there's Antonio Brown, there's Michael Gallup. There are these so-called third wheels in their offense but they're going to be an offense that runs primary 11 um, personnel. So the receivers are on the field. Three receivers are on the field, you know, most of the time. 
and they're they're they have giant discounts versus their teammates and offenses that we think should be really good. So Antonio Brown plays for the Bucks. We know Tom Brady's awesome. It's going to be a good offense. You know, we expect the Cowboys to be a really good offense. Now Michael Gallup is falling down draft boards. He's, still, he's been raising rising up lately, but in your home league, you're not going to have any problem, you know, targeting a guy like Gallup. He's going um, pick 101. You know, and he's fine to have as your wide receiver three, wide receiver four. As you're, if you've got, if you're in a league where you play two flex spots and they can both be receivers, you're going to be fine with Michael Gallup, right? As your wide receiver four. Um, so just, I think it's kind of a cheat code, really, to think of the players that are like Tyler Boyd, um, that are the third wheel in an offense that we think should be really good, where they're primarily going to use three wide receivers a lot. And so I think those receivers all fit that bill. Absolutely love it. Now we're going to talk some fades and, you know, everything you were just explaining, it also does apply to this guy a little bit. So I'm not necessarily saying that I'm, you know, completely out on Minnesota Vikings wide receiver Adam Thielen. With that said, I just think, you know, if we can maybe be out on him a year early versus a year late, it could be good. I was all over Thielen last year. I think I had him as my overall wide receiver six, well above consensus in the industry. And I'm not coming to you all saying like, look how smart I was last year, even though he was a wide receiver one he was a wide receiver one because he converted 14 of his 108 targets into touchdowns i had him ranked that high because i did not see any competition for targets okay i knew justin jefferson first round pick i didn't know he was going to be the best rookie receiver we have likely ever seen and take over the wide receiver one role by the time the season was over so with Thielen. 2017, 8.9 targets per game. 2018, 9.6 targets per game. 2020, down to 7.2. So Vikings defense, it has always been a top 12 unit in scoring under Mike Zimmer until last year, 27th. And Thielen is just someone who turning 31 in August, I don't know, man. As much as Kirk does condense the target share around his top two receivers, I do think the discretion discrepancy, excuse me, in ADP between Thielen and Jefferson is a bit too wide. I have Thielen as more of like a high-end wide receiver three at this point. If you can get him that wide receiver 26 to 28 range, that's fine. I'm not here to use a top 20 pick on him more in, anymore. You know, Deontay, Ayuk, you know, Chase, all these high upside guys you were talking about. I just want to take the young guy, and I understand Thielen has a path to get in there. He's very good. He didn't look washed last year or anything, but again, the Bengals receivers, Devontae Smith, DJ Moore, these are just guys that I'm taking over him. Because of that, I'm consistently not winding up with Thielen. Give me your thoughts real quick on if you agree on the, you know, not fully fade Thielen, but maybe temper expectations versus what we usually see, and then maybe another player you're just not so high on. Yeah, I think overall we're on the same page again. You know, you have my tier. I've got Julio Jones, Odell Beckham Jr., and Adam Thielen all basically okay. bucketed together, you know, behind the guys like Deontay Johnson, Brandon Ayuk, um, DJ Moore even. Um, and it's just, you know, I don't want to take the extra risk in the yeah. first four rounds of an aging receiver. And I, th I think differently about Beckham. He's the one, I mean, he's still 28 years old. He has battled injuries, but I still feel like where he's going in drafts, he slides to the end of the fifth round, early sixth round. Like, I like Beckham. I have him on a lot of teams. Yes, sir. But Julio is my guy because he's going, I don't, even though he's been, you know, off the field for two weeks, not practicing. And a lot of times at this time of year in, I just, I buy injury news. If I don't think it's long-term, I'll buy the depressed value on a player. But with Julio, it's just something where we've seen it slowly adding up. I mean, and he's almost more like a running back when he catches the ball, um, catches a lot of, you know, intermediate short type passes. His body takes, you know, a lot of hits. We've seen him over the last couple of years taking, having to take drives off here and there just to try to keep his body healthy. And as much as I love Julio Jones, and I think he's, you know, one of the, you know, one of the beasts of all time, right, a receiver um, in the game. 
Um, when he's still going in the early fourth round, um, I just, you know, I'm fading that. I'm just, I'm just waiting. Um, if he slides, you know, I think he's, he's a better as like a fifth or a sixth round pick, but that just doesn't happen. The name value alone just keeps Julio pushed up draft boards. Um, I think just a little bit too far, um, given some of the other options that we have. So it's similar to you on the way you feel about Thielen. Um, I do own some Julio. What's interesting is you say that. And I was just sitting here looking at like, uh, my exposure. I don't own Adam Thielen yet. Yeah. <laughs> I own Julio like three times out of 50 drafts. I own Adam Thielen zero. So maybe I have a stance I'm not even aware of like fully <laughs> on like how much I'm not drafting Adam Thielen. Makes sense, man. Yeah. With, with Julio, I got him in our fan tracks league last night in the fifth round and I was fine with oh, that. Well, that's good. Yeah. To your point, no, I'm not using a top four round pick on the guy anymore. Just too many concerns. And, you know, now volume's an issue. Like, you know, same thing with like DeAndre Hopkins. Like, he can still, he can still be a great talent, but if you take DeAndre Hopkins from 150 targets to 110, it, you know, his back's against the wall. So that's the game we're kind of playing there with Julio. Last thing on wide receivers, I want to talk a sleeper. I am overly high on Jalen Waddle, and I feel great about it. We were talking about the number six overall pick was putting Falcons cornerbacks of all shapes and sizes in a blunder over with those uh, training camp videos we had rising on Wednesday. And I just think that the reasons why people are fading him don't add up. He is not hurt. He is not walking with a limp. If he is walking with a limp, it's because he's always done so. The guy walks a little bit funky. If that's the reason why you're fading him, like I'm I'm just going to ignore that and to your point by the guy where the perceived injury just isn't anything to really worry about so waddle fuller i think the answer is yes get them both where they're going we're talking about wide receiver fours with the upside to be wide receiver twos dare i say even like top 20 options if tua can be as good as some people are hoping he can be this is an offense that Hey, Dwayne, I don't exactly expect to run through Malcolm Brown, Miles Gaskin. It sure seems like they're setting up Tua to throw the ball more to his heart's desire in 2021. And, the, you know, you don't draft someone sixth overall if you don't have a plan to feature him. So Lynn Bowden last year averaged 7.8 targets per game as a starting slot during the final four weeks of last season. That's potentially Waddle's role from day one with the potential for much more. So I feel like with Waddle, we're getting a discount on a high-end talent that might just be the number one option in his passing game already you can do a hell of a lot worse with the other receivers that are going in the same zone as waddle again i'm not saying you should you know move waddle up into your 20s and be taking him in the fifth fifth or sixth round you don't have to take him you know maybe a round before where he's going to get him likely in the double digit spots and i think you'll be feeling good about what your wide receiver like six or seven at that point on the squad so Dwayne, who's someone that you feel similar about where hey if you can get them you know down in the ranks you're just loving it yeah, and just so everybody knows, Waddle right now on ESPN, my fantasy league and fan tracks, pick 104. Ooh. Um, yeah, he's creeping up a little bit, but still, I, I, I like the value. I'm with you. Man, there are so many of these this year that I really like, but I'm just going to focus in on one, and then I'm just going to add a couple of quick notes for folks like strategy-wise on wide receiver. Um, mine is Rondell Moore, and Rondell Moore is going at pick 178 <laughs> right now in these leagues. So basically, you can get him with one of your very last picks in your draft, um, we saw last week that they utilized him all over the field. They used him in the screen game. Um, DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green didn't play, so Ian and I will obviously both be closely watching the situation this weekend. I will be updating uh, you know, my fantasy ranks throughout the weekend, so if we see something that breaks, you can always go to the site and see if you know I've moved him around. I've got stuff up for PPR, half PPR, Superflex, all that, and so does Ian and the rest of our guys who are all awesome. Um, so Rondell Moore, though, at one, 178. And the other thing I like, Ian, is whenever they went 12 personnel, they let him play outside. And 
Christian Kirk stayed outside when he was during when he was in the game. Christian Kirk played strictly on the outside. So what that tells me is there's a path for one right out of the gate for Rondell Moore to own the the slot position. Number two, there's a potentially a chance that there's some sort of rotation when they go to you know two wide receiver sets where Moore is seeing some of that work, even if AJ Green's getting some of it, and even if uh, Christian Kirk's getting some of it. But on this team, you're going to see plenty of three and four wide receiver sets. So if he owns all of that and he gets a little bit of the two wide receiver sets, I mean, he could push for 80% of the routes. And if he does that in this offense, I think there is a clear path for him to be the number two guy behind um, DeAndre Hopkins because he, bl- he brings something, you know, different, you know, to the team. Hopkins is going to work that intermediate area of the field. Um, you know, he's a matchup problem on the outside as far as, you know, a, a, he's a super possession receiver, right? He's not just like old school. We think of possession. Don't think of like Devin Funches people. Like, <laughs> you think of the word possession, uh, the term possession receiver. Obviously Hopkins is way more than that. But I think Moore just gives him a lot of flexibility. He also got two rushing attempts in the game. So I think this is what Kingsbury has been waiting for, is a wrinkle to his element. And he can move all over the place to create these mismatches with the defense that helps open up the other aspects of the game. Um, and I expect Rondell Moore to drastically outperform his ADP. And you get him really cheap. And so if he doesn't do anything in the first two or three weeks and you want to cut him, you can. You can cut him before that. But at pick 178, like that's, that's stealing. And so just real quick, on receiver, like my strategy, if for some reason, let's say all this value hits you at running back and maybe tight end, and, and you start really heavy in those positions and you're having to hit a lot of the names, you know, the upside names as you go, there are a lot of receivers going in the mid, you know, I'm talking when I say, I'm talking rounds 10 through 15, that you can you can find these different pairings where basically you can draft one guy and Ian you were hitting on this with quarterback with Kirk Cousins this is like the receiver version of that you can draft one player to kind of be your your player out of the gate you're going to put him in your week one starting lineup you know unless we get really great news around them in the preseason and then as the season goes on you're going to transition over to these other players I'm just going to give you a few Marvin Jones is going pick 125 like that's too that's too low he and lawrence showed really good chemistry and um, we've seen what marvin jones can do he can easily be a solid wide receiver four for you he can jump into your wide receiver three spot um you've also got uh sterling shepherd going pick 181 Kadarius tony can't like get his act together like so sterling shepherd could easily still be a top two target on this team look i don't love sterling shepherd but in a ppr he could get you through a few weeks while you're waiting on some of your other upside plays to hit Tyrell Williams is one that's free at the end of drafts like they have to throw the ball to somebody in Detroit um, that's not a running back or tight end and so he could be an option and then one of my favorite ones Ian and in home leagues you don't see this on underdog but in home leagues Emmanuel Sanders is going pick 193 like he's literally forgotten he's playing John Brown's old role Um, he's bested Taylor Gabriel to this point so he is the third wide receiver probably never leaving the field almost at all he's going to be out there in the two wide receiver sets as well he's still got it when it comes to running routes and creating separation and now he's going to be an offense that throws the ball all the time so emmanuel sanders could easily jump in as your wide receiver three carry you for several weeks and then you start as the season goes you can you have some of these other guys you could be taking that we've already talked about um but just to throw a few more names out there uh you know jalen rager uh you got marquez calloway uh, you got Paris Campbell, Brian Edwards. There's still a lot of young players in their first, second, or third years that have upside, and you can miss and match. You can mix and match some of these players. So I think if you get into a situation like that with receiver, 
think about, okay, what am I doing to begin my season? And then, you know, who are the guys that I'm going to pivot to that I want to have like down the stretch run? Great names. Do you say Jacoby Myers in there at the very oh, end? Oh, you got to throw Jacoby Myers. I was waiting because that's your brand. <laughs> Pick 211, by the way. So, yes, I didn't want to infringe. I didn't want to be sued for infringing. <laughs> when you look at these receivers in these late rounds and you look at their offense, you're like, well, wait a second. This guy might be the wide receiver one in their own offense, and I'm in round 15. Yes, throw a dart at them, people. To your point, that can help get us through these early weeks when some of the rookies maybe don't quite have the role that we're hoping. Justin Jefferson just had one of the best rookie seasons ever, but if you were frustrated by it and you didn't have this sort of depth, you might have cut him after week two before he had his breakout. Getting guys like that can help us avoid those mistakes. Real quickly on Rondale, yeah, if anything, like that usage, I sent out a tweet of just his, like, his design touches, and some people were like, I mean, it wasn't that impressive what am I missing here again we don't really care about the efficiency or the yards picked up in preseason it's more about the volume snaps with the first team for Rondale Moore to get five design touches in his first 30 minutes on a football field Andy Isabella had 13 touches his entire rookie season sure seems like they are setting him up to be that slot guy that Larry Fitzgerald was in the role for and Fitz in 2019 had 109 targets obviously Hopkins comes into the offense last year was still on an 88 target pace so with how much pace they use and if Kyler is ready to take another step forward as a passer it's not out of the realm of imagination for each of Hopkins AJ Green and maybe just Rondale Moore to be flirting with that triple digit target number all in on more after that first week i have you know moved him up maybe more in my ranks than anyone based on what we saw in that preseason usage before we get going to tight end i just want to say people that fantasy football season is here and no one can prepare you better for your draft than PFF. For just $9.99, get access to PFF's Fantasy Football Draft Guide, player rankings and projections. You can check out my and Dwayne's rankings on there. I know Dwayne was up till the wee hours of last night updating his, so make sure you check those out. All of PFF's locked article content, cheat sheets for your fantasy draft, and more. Again, that's PFF's Fantasy Suite for just $9.99. Draft smarter than your league mates this season. And also, I want to give a quick shout-out to our friends at Fantrax. I've mentioned them throughout this pod, but Fantrax is free fantasy football league manager. is the most customizable easy to use and feature rich platform in the entire industry pff is gearing up to play our leagues on fan tracks this season if you're coming from another site that has no problem fan tracks can import any of your current leagues completely free create a free account now using promo code pff at fantracks.com pff and get a chance to win a trip to any regular season game this year for you and your entire league plus six grand absolutely madness vegas miami you pick that is promo code pff at fantracks.com pff go get those ticks Go get those tickets and six G's while you're at it. Finally, people, Pacquiao fight. It's fight week. Pacquiao versus Ugas this weekend. And DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app is offering 100 to 1 odds on a punch being landed at any point during the fight. That's right. Bet $1 on either fighter. And if a punch lands during the fight, you will cash $100 in free credits. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF when you sign up to turn $1 into 100 in free credits when you bet on either fighter to win and a punch is land during the fight. Place your bet and watch the fist fly this weekend. Code PFF, $1 to 100 in free credits. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers apply. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana 1-800-9-WITH-IT Dwayne, we'll get finished things off here with tight end. What has been your general strategy at the position throughout the offseason and now in to 2021? Every time I can, I want to come away with Kelsey, Waller, or Kittle. Yep. And I really like leaving myself open to get Waller or Kittle yeah. um, more than I seem to like my builds that when I start with Kelsey, 
Um, and not to say I don't love some of my Kelsey builds, but um, Kittle is really the guy that to me is just kind of rotten player. Last year, people wanted to put Kittle ahead of Kelsey, if you remember that, because of just how insanely good the player has been. Plays in a great offense. They feature him. Um, even with Ayuk and Debo, uh, you know, coming up through the ranks, I, I don't see a situation where Kittle's target share is just really going to drop off. So um, when he slides into the third round, man, and I'm like, I can't wait. Like I'm basically like pre-selecting him like every, like I'm just clicking the button multiple times, like before it's even my pick, just to make sure that like, you know, I get him in there. <laughs> um, it's one of those things like that. So um, I want to own one of those top three if I can't, if I don't, get one of the top three, I am willing to pay a fifth round pick for Hawkinson or Pitts. Now Pitts goes in the fourth a lot, um, but I'm willing to pay that um, because I, again, I'm looking at, these are young ascending talents. It's very much like a lot of the other players that are in the fifth round that I like, like, you know, Brandon Ayuk, like Jamar Chase. So I, I think of them all very similarly. And so I know a lot of people are like, well, if I don't get one of the three and I'm just completely punting. I'm, I'm not. I'm willing to take Hawkinson or Pitts in the fifth. Um, again, Pitts doesn't make it there that often. Let me look real quick for you guys. Like in a home league setup right now, I need to make sure I'm not just thinking like what Ian and I have been dealing with in some of these best ball streets. Uh, but no, Pitts is 48, even in home leagues right now. So um, it's, it's pretty aggressive, but he could slip around the turn to you. And if he does, then I'm an, op I'm, I'm an opportunistic buyer of Kyle Pitts. You know, that's the way I look at him. I mean, I feel just as good about him as I do Jamar Chase. Um, but he gets to play tight end. So I'm willing to take him in a similar range. Now, once you get past that, I am waiting. I do have one other spot in where I'm kind of, if I can make it work with my roster, I'm not reaching. But I kind of feel like Logan Thomas is the last guy. <laughs> it's like last of the Mohicans. It's like, <laughs> uh, after him, everybody else has issues. Like, I don't know how often they're going to be on the field. They, there's a lot of challenges. But with Logan Thomas, I know at a minimum, He's going to be out there pretty much every single play. Like he was in a route more often than any other tight end in the NFL last year. And he's got an upgrade in quarterback. Um, they've got some other weapons that could potentially help him. So I am willing with Logan Thomas, again, not somebody I want to reach with, reach for, but right now he's going at pick 83. So depending on the way my roster is looking, if I get into the seventh round or if it slides into the eighth round and he's still sitting there and I don't own a tight end just for the sake of not dealing with the headache, I'll take him because I feel like everyone after that, we've got questions around. I would have a different answer this time last week, but as we talked about on the preseason pod, my goodness, all of our favorite late round tight ends are seemingly already dead. Adam Troutman, Anthony Ferkshire, I mean, Goddard, Urch, uh, Jacecki, all these guys, man, it's just looking so much more rough to get behind them. So, yeah, I want a big three. I'm with you, though. If you can get Pitts or Hawkinson at a reasonable value, that's fine, too. But more and more, man, I just – you know, when people have asked, like, hey, I can pick any spot I want in the draft, take advantage of leagues that still don't do the third-round reversal. Get yourself three of your top, you know, 25 picks in your draft. Get your anchor. Get your get a stud wide receiver that will be there regardless of who he is. And then get Darren Waller or George Kittle in that third round. So that's been my preferred just overall draft strategy. And, yeah. yeah I love that strategy. And it takes me right into the value, Dwayne, when you read my mind. I have Logan Thomas there now because no longer when I wanted to wait for Troutman or Ferkser, I don't want those guys now. Logan Thomas is basically the last tight end I want. So I'm fine going an extra round on Logan. I mean, the only real issue I had with him was so much of his production, 82% of his targets came from the slot or out wide last season. They brought in Humphreys. They brought Curtis and stuff. But, you know, some of that might just be him. Instead of standing in line, they just move him two feet, you know, to the 
side and he just lines up from right there because this is a guy in each of his last 10 games last year, he played over 90% of the offensive snaps. So it's not like Ferkser where who also gets most of his targets out of the slot where we're finding out he might not even be on the field that often. Thomas, it's not that he only needs to work out of the slot or in line. It's just how he was used. He's still the easy, undisputed tight end one in Washington. Quarterback upgrade. I mean, he might not get the 110 targets again he had last year. He might not need 110 targets again to meet his value with Fitzpatrick now giving him that boost. So, uh, you know, to, to get in some age here, I was surprised to find out he is only 14 months older than Darren Waller. Hey, Logan Thomas is has always been a great tight end prospect. You know, unless I was just goofed on the internet, I'm pretty sure he was like the number one tight end prospect coming out of high school. He just gave his hand at quarterback first uh, and, you know, obviously didn't work out for him. So Logan Thomas isn't like this cast off that has just been struggling to play tight end for years. He just kind of finally walked into it and it turns out he's pretty damn good at it. So Logan Thomas, I get it. He turned, you know, turned 30 in July. If you're not prioritizing him dynasty, I don't blame you, but particularly after seeing already so many of our late round tight ends fall off the map, I think you could do a lot worse if he is your tight end one and where he's going seems plenty affordable. Dwayne, any just real quick, real, yeah. yeah, real quick on him. Sorry, Ian. Um, so with Thomas, the interesting part is like he really came on down the stretch last year, and what was kind of fascinating about that is that's when they started to use more eleven personnel. So at the end of the season, so that's when they have three wide receivers. Yet he still was doing well. So seventy-one percent eleven personnel, seventy-one percent, seventy-three percent, eighty percent, and then fifty fifty-one percent. That's over the final five weeks of the season. Um, and if you own Logan Thomas in that time, you were feeling pretty good about it. So I think there's, you know, to your point, there's going to be more competition for targets. I don't see him as, you know, like a target magnet stud type player. Sure. It's just, I just know he's going to be out there. And, he's good, <laughs> and I feel man. really good about it. And, and I think that, you know, I like Curtis Samuel yeah. and I like, um, I love Terry McLaurin, like Terry McLaurin's fine. But after that, like, even if he's the third guy, I'm okay with it. You know, I'm okay with him being the third option on the team. I think it's more likely that he and Samuel kind of compete. They're kind of like 2A, 2B, right? The 1A is going to be, you know, Terry McLaurin. And then those two guys are probably splitting the other targets. And then you'll have some targets going to the backs and the other guys. I get, we say it all the time, we're chasing volume, but it's really more true at running back than anywhere else. And ideally, we want a great player that also has great volume. Like, I remember week one last year, the Eagles just didn't guard Logan Thomas. He walks in for just easy, you know, 10-yard touchdown. He's on the top of every waiver wire list next week. The plays he was making down the stretch last year, I mean, that touchdown I remember he had in week 17 to help get them the division. Like, this dude was balling out. These were not like empty Alex Smith schemed yards. These are contested catches, grown-ass man plays that Logan Thomas was making. Looking forward to many more in 2021. Dwayne, if, you know, we've kind of been talking about the value and stuff already. So if you're good to go there, that's fine with me, and you can move on to your biggest fade. But just, just, keep, just keep spreading the gossip, man. What you got? Yeah, I mean, you already hit a lot of the fades. It's just like, man, uh, what happened this last weekend? Dallas Goddard's the biggest one, but it's yeah. because of his ADP. I still like the player, but if Zach Ertz is there, like his his value is just tanked. So I'm out on Dallas Goddard at ADP. He's got a really slide for me. Um, you already you already nailed Jasicki. Like he was he was only out, he only ran a route in like 30 percent of the plays yeah. of the dropbacks. So, I mean, now he came up with two big targets, but man, I do not like a player that's off the field that often. So I'm going to be out on both of those players. 
Very fair. I would add Evan Ingram there. He's someone that I've seen, you know, still flirting with a top 12 tight end valuation. Keep an eye on Kyle Rudolph. He's still on the pup list. That was a major reason why I've been fading Ingram. So if Rudolph is really just not going to be healthy all year, maybe Ingram will have a chance to get back in. But I would just say, people, like last year, all the stars aligned for Ingram. He didn't get hurt. He led the team in targets. He had over 100 of them, and it didn't happen. Like, I'm not expecting all those things to come back to fruition when they added Galladay, they added Tony, and they added Rudolph. We're looking at all those things that were supposed to make Ingram great last year now disappearing. And I'm not just going to assume that the efficiency is going to come back when we still, unfortunately, have Daniel Jones at QB, Jason Garrett calling the plays. So, hey, if, if Ingram goes down to like tight end 18 to 20 range, which is like where I have him ranked, okay. But, you know, do not feel like he needs to be your tight end one in, uh, you know, your usual one tight end redraft formats. Dwayne, I hope we have the same sleeper here because I think there's only one late round tight end left that we haven't completely written off yet. Are you with me on Gerald Everett. Oh man, I had two written down and Gerald Everett is one of them. Let's go, let's um, go. Yeah, um, and I talked about him earlier, you know, following, you know, his old offensive coordinator, Shane Waldron over from the Rams. So yeah, I'm down with it. Um, I think, you know, the other missing ingredient with the Seahawks offense, right, that Schottenheimer was having to deal with is you, you really want to have three weapons that the opposing defense has to worry about. So I think that's why they added both Everett and Eskridge, and they're hoping together that really helps tee their offense up. You're going to see them run a lot more 11 personnel. And so I think Everett could easily be the third option um, on the Seahawks. Per Russell Wilson on tight end, Gerald Everett. Gerald's super elusive. He keeps getting open, and you guys see him out there. You saw the deep ball that he caught today. That was great. He keeps getting open on second and third down. He just finds a way to make plays. Some of the other stuff are saying that they're using him all over the formation. Like, I get it. Will Disley, Kobe Parkinson could still be involved. But at least with Everett, you know, compared to some of these other guys, like, we still have someone that's attached to Russell Wilson. So Everett is someone that, at a minimum, I think we can say he's being priced closer to his floor than ceiling. And if he can just be the starting tight M1 that we know he's capable of being, damn, Dwayne, now we're looking at a freaking, as the kids like to call it, league talent. 207. In this economy. Undrafted. Dwayne, we have made it through every position, gone through it all, given the strategy, 80 minutes clean. Anything else you want to get off your chest before we get out of here? No, just the other, my, the other if, if, if they want one more sleeper at tight end, it's, it's Cole Komet. Okay. Um, so if you looked at him last year down the stretch, he basically eliminated um, Jimmy Graham. He was running a route on most of the plays, which is what you need. He wasn't having to stay in and block. And then if you looked at him um, this last week, while you still had starter Andy Dalton in the game, um, he was out there uh, running a route on 80% of the passing plays with the starters. So that's really good. Um, so it looks like he's kind of detached himself from Jimmy Graham at this point. So Cole Komet would be the other guy that I would throw in there with Gerald. And it's important to note with Jimmy Graham, I mean, 67% of his targets were from the slaughter out wide last year. You know, when they got rid of Anthony Miller, I was looking and I was like, is it going to be Daz Newsome, Riley Ridley? Like, who the hell is their slot receiver? It might just be a bunch of two tight end sets with Cole Komet being the full-time guy, Jimmy coming in more selectively. So like that call as well. And he is also awfully affordable. People, if you've enjoyed what you've been listening, please go to pff.com and you can get Dwayne and I's full thoughts on this subject matter as Dwayne said, 
said before, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end strategy guides will be out. The man is grinding. I also have my final 100 questions in 100 days series finishing up on Friday. I have a final piece going up there with my strategy on these positions as well. So I'm going to, you know, celebrate being done with that, going to Nashville, having far too much alcohol for a couple nights, and then we'll be back with the grind next week. So for Dwayne, I'm Ian. This has been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Good luck in all your drafts, people. Go get that championship. We'll see you next time. Take care.